to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. Hi, Chris. Hi, Jody. What's going on in your world? This. Good. <laughs> yeah, don't sound so pumped. But yeah, it's time to do that podcasting thing. Yeah. What are we talking about today? Well, as creatives... Every once in a while, we get hit with some downtime. You don't say. It, I do say. Unless you're Chris Lordalgy or somebody, then there's probably very little downtime in his world. But anyway, most of us are not. So we get hit with some downtime in between projects. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but I think most people feel that these can be stressful times. And Well, when you don't know do? when your next paycheck's coming in, it can be stressful. Indeed, indeed. Today, we're going to talk about a couple of ways to think about downtime and taking advantage of this time. We're not going to touch on, obviously, the marketing things and trying to get new clients and stuff that they should be doing. That's an ongoing thing, not just a downtime thing. Right, but that's usually when you start to panic. Like you said, that was my next paycheck. I'm like, ah, I don't have anything for a month. (laughs) Whatever it happens to be, right? Yeah. Uh, There are some things that we can do to use this time for some creative and good stuff. So I thought we'd talk about that today. Great. What's the first thing on our list here that we should consider doing or taking advantage of? Well, we're going to go in three categories. And we've labeled this first category, the boring stuff, the necessary fluff type of things. And one of those happens to be Software updates. Indeed. Yes. How many times have you heard somebody say, I am in the middle of a mixing session. I have to deliver my mixes tomorrow, but now the OS upgrade I just did doesn't work. I've only got 10 fingers and 10 toes. I can't count that high. It's beyond that, right? It is. But Needless to say, we're joking about it here, but it can be a real, actually it's not can be, it's a catastrophically bad idea to try to do that when you're in the middle of a project. That's a pretty bold statement. I I, <laughs> I stand by it, damn it. I know there are guys I that like to live on, on the bleeding edge. Yeah. You know, I used to I'm be that guy. Yeah. Long, long time learn. ago, galaxy far, far away. Right. Downtime. That, that's a good time to do that. Now, of course, if you're trying to do something that there's an a bug fix or something in a piece of in a synth or whatever it is that you're doing, right? Then that might be a different story. Yeah, but, but you're talking OS. That's a I'm major talking, thing. Oh, that is major. You know, when you have some downtime, that's the time to do that. If you deem it necessary, of course. Yeah. Well, the last it, major change that I went through where I did it, and I wasn't necessarily in the middle of a project. I did it when we went from OS 9 to OS 10. Ooh, that, now we're, we're dialing back the clock. Dialing here. back the clock. That was quite some time ago. That was the biggest change. And it, of course, I lost a whole lot of stuff because at that time that I did it, there weren't a lot of plugins that were available on OS X yet. Right. And so it was a very different time indeed. It was a different time. I remember that transition as well. And it was, it could be rough. Mm-hmm. And once it got really, really steady and everything came out of that, it was not too unfamiliar to what we're dealing with right now, I guess, with going to like the M1 chips, like the native yeah, chips. Yeah, going from Intel to the M chips, yeah. Right. But 
this is transitionally smoother, a little bit smoother. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. and uh, you, yeah, you're pretty conservative there with the a little bit smoother. <laughs> it's a lot smoother. Yeah, that's the first thing. When you have downtime, do your upgrades, even if it's you know major upgrades to a plugin that you like to use or something. You know, you have time to suss out the things, not in the middle of a project if there should be any issues. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing I'm thinking of. Yeah. The other one would be file management. What the that's hell is another, that? Oh, that's a sexy phrase, isn't it? File management. That's Say what it we again. always Yeah. <laughs> file management. Um, but this is, you know, a good time to look back and do all those backups that you've been meaning to do for the last year, right? Or more for some people. <laughs> right. But to take care of that and also move things. I know you and I have a little bit of a different philosophy on this. Okay. Because you like to keep all your projects relatively live on your RAID, relatively far back in your time. I don't do that. Mm-hmm. I, once it reaches a certain age, I move it to not from my RAID at this point. I move it to a different drive. I might even burn, not so much anymore, but I was going to say like burn optical drives and stuff and get it rid of it, get it out of the RAID system and just move it away to cold storage, as I like to call it. <laughs> I like that term, cold storage. Right. Putting it in so, the cryogen. Yeah. So these are not fun things to do, but they're necessary things to do to keep your system clean. And I think something comes from knowing that you have everything sorted on your drives and all your projects and everything is sort of up to date as can be and nice and clean and mean. I think it uh, gives you a new sort of launching point from when you start the next project and everything just feels kind of you ready to go type of thing. That's sure. more of a psychological thing, but I hear you yeah. on that. For right. me, I have multiple hard drives. Some people out there, they may not have multiple hard drives and I have a raid system. I believe you do too. I um, do. The idea is I have a separate drive strictly just for holding recording projects that are current mm-hmm. and testing phases of things when I'm testing things. Then I have the RAID system, when everything's done, in the interim on that, I have a second backup drive that is like the intermediary backup for the day-to-day backup kind of thing. Okay. And then once the project is finished, then that entire backup of file management, so to speak, for a project or a song or whatever it is, will then move to the RAID the RAID is my cold storage, but it's always attached to the machine. But I okay. have an interim backup that's like for the daily backups that happen. Oh, this changed. Put it over on my daily backup drive kind of thing. Okay. All right. Why do you do it that way? Though? I'm curious as to not just going to your RAID straight away. We had an episode not too well i don't remember how long ago it is now <laughs> it's sad less than 134 episodes yes ago. it was less yeah. than 134 episodes ago but the we were talking about hard drives and file management and storing things long term and that type of thing and as was being done at the time that this happened i was trying to back up files that had not been backed up on a kind of daily basis And they were finished projects of 20 songs. And I lost everything when the hard drive failed. And the data recovery experts said, you're shit out of luck because something flaked off of the platter, hit the head, shattered, and destroyed the entire set of platters in there. 
So I lost everything with no backup. And so that's what changed. Immediately after that, I always had what I would call a daily backup drive. (laughs) So when a project changed off of the recording drive, it went to the daily backup drive. When a project was completely finished, then it went to cold storage, as you would say. A little while back, I updated from doing the DVDs and the Blu-rays to going to a RAID system. So, right. and I bought a fairly big raid, although it's already half full at this point. So I might have to make it bigger soon. You need a raid for your raid. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before we move people to tears here, right? Yep. Talking about backing up, it is an important step and it's something that you should be doing all the way through your project. But when you have downtime, make sure you got everything backed up and the way you like to archive stuff and take care of that. But now we move into the second category. And this is not necessarily boring and necessary, but it's not exactly exciting either, but it's somewhere in between. So this category is called the somewhere in between. All righty. Here's where I like to do every once in a while is I evaluate sample libraries and things. Mm -hmm. Once you've been doing this for a while, like you and I, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have, it is very easy to collect a bunch of whether it's IRs or, you know, drum samples, hits, loops, whatever it is. I like to take some time every once in a while to go through that. And if I haven't used it in like a year, or I'm certainly not actively using it, perhaps never used it, hose it, get rid of it, Hmm. free up some drive space. Well, that's provided you have a need for that drive space. To me, it doesn't really. Hmm. Because again, it goes to me for that psychological thing to sort of know that I have a lean, mean system that's running. And Well, but if you keep your samples on a separate drive, which is something I do, not everybody mm-hmm. does this, but my sample drive is a little over half full. Yeah. And it's got every sample I've ever used and then some that I've probably never used. To go through that at this point would be maybe a waste of time. I hear what you're saying, but because I have it and I may have used it, I don't think about getting rid of it. Yeah, I guess we'll just have to disagree on that point. Yeah, I yeah. see your point and mm-hmm. I get it because drive space is cheap. It is now. If, yeah, it wasn't back in the day, of course. I still think that clearing out stuff as opposed to just kind of collecting stuff. It's now you know that when you go into your sample drive, you know that what you have there is usable and the things that you're going to do. Sure. Right? That's my mindset of it. And I've had it before where I can't even think about how long I've been doing this, but it's, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's a long time, right? It is. I used to have old samples that just, they're just not good enough anymore. Well, there is that. Right. So that's the only reason why I tend to keep some of my older ones around. And this is the only reason is because they were used in a project Mm -hmm. and not every project got the premium file management treatment. So (laughs) some of those samples might actually need to be there in order to get the original sound back in case I want to update it. I need to know what the hell it was. Yeah, I can concede that point, but I think I'm still going to stick by my argument. If it yeah. isn't there and you haven't pulled up that song for a sample that you might have downloaded 20 years ago, you're probably not likely to do that. Well, there right? is that, yes. There is that. Okay. All right. Moving so on. 
Moving on, I do the same thing with plugins and soft synths, uh-huh. perhaps amp sims, a- any kind of thing that I have in my plugin folder. Okay. We we download trials, we download free plugins that we envision and have every intention of using all the time. But I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we don't use everything that we envision that we should. Yep. So I think this is another great time to take stock of that and look at all those free soft synths that I downloaded I haven't used yet. Consider getting rid of them. Yeah. You know, just to have a nice and clean system. So same mindset there for me. But how, how about you? I mean, I have more plugins than I use and I have way more than I need. But what's your <laughs> mindset on it? You know, what, how do you deal with that? I actually did deal with this not exceptionally long ago mm-hmm. with Luna as my DAW for mixing, yeah. where I was having a problem with Luna crashing with the use of a particular plugin. But it was not the particular plugin that was technically causing the crash itself. It was the plugin in combination with other plugins that was not working. Oh, dear. Yeah. And that caused me to go through the plugin folder and pull a whole lot out when I was dealing with Universal Audio saying, we need to solve this because it's driving me batshit crazy. And they suggested, let's pull out every plugin that is third party and slowly start adding things in to see what happens. And in doing that, I found that there were quite a few plugins on the mix end of things. This is not necessarily soft sense like you're talking, but mix capable plugins that Mm. I ended up getting rid of. I still own them. I can download them. I could reinstall them, but I haven't felt the driving desire need that I had to use it again. It may happen. I might pull out an old mix and all of a sudden, shit, you need to have this plugin. So I might have to reinstall it. And then at that point, fingers crossed, I can install a version that would open that. Otherwise, right. I'll have to have my my real physically old machine to do the opening that would then hopefully allow me to update whatever needs to be updated going forward. So I get it. In terms of soft sense, I have actually removed soft sense from my system that I don't use. And there is a whole plug-in line that I really did dig, and I still do, but I haven't put it back on the system since the Luna debacle. Mm. They were ones that were causing issues? Or was no, this they weren't. Just a- I just didn't put them back on because I like right. them, but I wasn't using them to their full capacity unless it was a specialized case. And in specialized cases, it's like, do I really need it? Maybe. So I didn't put it back on. Right. And I'd rather not say what it is because it is a nice plug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because it can just be a personal thing where it's like they just don't work for your workflow. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the actual piece of software. It's just that in your case, it does so no reason to throw shade there as it were. Yeah. And the other thing that we were going to dump into on this is that you consider getting rid of them but maybe you need to keep them around like I do, but I do this anyway when I'm in the habit of actually printing software instruments. Yeah. No, that's I an still important keep, one. You know, the, the, so- I still have the, the ownership of whatever instrument, whether it's a software instrument or a guitar amp, but I always print the actual sound that went to the mix. Right. Just in case they don't make it in the future. And that does happen. No matter how much you want to believe it won't happen, it happens. 
Look yeah, at the I'm, most recent case, Native Instruments, as of the time of this particular recording, did their giant update with Contact Complete and a very, very big aspect of a soft synth to the Native Instrument line did not get updated with it. Yeah. Absinthe. Right. They removed Absinthe. Now, you can still run Absinthe using emulation yeah. if you own it right by installing an older version and leaving it in there you don't get a new version yeah they're done with it at the point this point in time as of the recording of this podcast now there are a lot of people that hope that absinthe would make it down the line but that right. remains to be seen yeah so those those cases that you bring up there are obviously a very important consideration if you're considering getting rid of something oh hell and yeah. you haven't always been in the workflow of like you said you're printing your soft tunes when you go into mix yep and i know i've been there man and it's frustrating you open it oh i don't have that synth anymore whatever happens to be right in those cases hold on to your license do all that kind of stuff have the installer ready if you need it or whatever perhaps just you know consider removing it from your plugin folder or something again i i'm a big fan of just having stuff that i like to use currently in there so i can just Instead of plug-in surfing, you actually use something. <laughs> Instead of just searching, you, you get down to, to working. So that, right. that's my, yeah. And speaking of frustrating moments to get over, let's take a word from our sponsors. And we're back. We're going to continue on with our third category. What is it, Chris? Well, this is the fun stuff. This is the creative stuff. Ooh. Once we have gotten rid of all the extra shit that we have in our system. We've done our file management. We've gotten rid of extraneous plugins that we never use. Now, let's get creative with it. This is a really good time to really get to know the plugins that you have, whether mm -hmm. that's a mixing plugin, perhaps a reverb you really get to know, or soft synths. Really spend some time getting to learn it inside and out and see what it can do. And mm -hmm. my way of thinking of this is like, of course, since day one, we've always preached, know your gear, right? Just experiment with stuff. This is the time to do that. Yeah. So I, I don't disagree argue, with it. I would even argue that this could possibly even save you money down the line. Now, that sounds like an odd thing to say, right? But if you know what a piece of gear can do, it might negate the willingness to buy like a new one, the newest, shiniest one that comes out, right? Oh, I, this can do this, but- No, nah, fuck you that. Know, you need retail therapy every so often. <laughs> well, that, I'm not going to argue against that. That is very, very true. And sometimes that's a source of inspiration for all sorts of dumb reasons and yep. some, some valid ones. But if you know what your gear can do, like, do you really need that eighth hall reverb? Do you really need something that can- you know, modulate every parameter on your synth if you already own three that can do the same thing. So that's a fun part, getting to know. But I want that compressor, actually. damn it. Well, don't let me stop you. I'm just saying that you might want to think twice about it. You know? <laughs> yeah. What's next on our list? Getting busy writing patches for yourself. And I, this is not so much for the mixing engineers and recording engineer types. This is more for the creative songwriter types that listen to the podcast and sure. thinking themselves, I want to be different. I want to sound like me, which I would hope you do. <laughs> 
And yeah, you need to say, get... don't say that so mockingly. That's a <laughs> I'm good not thing. mocking. <laughs> I am actually saying I want to sound like me. Yes. Get busy writing patches for your favorite synths or software instruments, whatever they might be. Yeah. I am a big fan of this. And a huge benefit that comes from this, I think, is if we're writing patches with a certain sound in mind, we end up with patches that we know they're going to be usable. We know that this is a patch that I know the sound, as opposed to just going and randomize and go through patch surfing, as I like to say, right? To try to find something and then tweak it. Nothing wrong with that, but it's very time consuming. Having your own patches that you have done, you know you have something workable. It's like, yeah, I need a great bass patch. Cool. Mm -hmm. Got it right there. I got my favorite 808s here. Awesome. Whatever happens to be. Right? Speaking of 808s, I actually just installed the Roland TR-808 from Roland Cloud today. Oh, yeah. I got the original on my system now. Do you feel special? I Yeah. Always. Yeah. Well, good for you. Good for you. Because that's another kind of thing that comes from this. I mean, theoretically, if we think we roll our own sounds, right? If we have created a patch... Theoretically, you're sounding already a little bit different than somebody else. One would hope, and I, as you know, and we've actually spoken about this in certain episodes of the podcast, I am a nutcase with hundreds of channel strips of varying things. Yeah, I think uh, in some cases, you might go a little overboard. Then you might have to talk to somebody. But, uh, <laughs> I, but I need a you know, because <laughs> you can go too far with that as well, right? You can. We, yeah. it, having your own stuff again, ready at your fingertips. You know that I want this kind of sound. Boom! You know where to find it. So I think that's a really good thing. It is possible when certain synths and, and instruments become popular. I mean, we've talked about this. You know, not just on the podcast, but I remember when. Stylus RMX came out, yeah. Spectra Sonics. You'd hear that everywhere. It's like you'd hear, oh, there's that loop again, you know, on like it was a TV commercial or an Savoir underscore or something. Savoir is everywhere. Yep. You know, being a little bit unique is good and mm -hmm. something that we should strive for. And this just helps you as well to kind of know your gear. So rolling your own, I think, is a very, very cool thing. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. What's next? Sound design. Mm-hmm. Now, this sounds like it might go hand in hand with just doing patches and things. The way I'm looking at this is a little bit more of perhaps sampling your own stuff. It could even be simple as getting a handy handheld recorder, if that's your iPhone or whatever, and go out and just sample stuff as in like found sounds and stuff. It might be you banging on a piece of metal or whatever. I've done that. Yeah. And again, being creative with that, editing stuff down, tweaking it, processing it all to hell so that you have something usable that you can do. And that's not only creative, I think, but it's also great fun. It can be. There right. is a TV show that I did some percussion design for. I used drumsticks on a filing cabinet. Yeah, I remember you telling the story, yeah. That was that's, fun. Right. So... Yes. So these are fun yeah. things to do. I also have in a giant library of hand claps that I've done for myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, I have those same hand claps and I've created 
sample instruments of those. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Here again, to make you sound unique. Now, I remember watching a documentary about, I think it was, now the, the album escapes me, but it was an early Depeche Mode album. Mm. I think it might have been Black Celebration, where they went on a journey to just sample stuff. Now, of course, this goes back, so this is way before soft synth and all this kind of stuff. But they ended up banging on metals and things and sampling it and creating the drum sounds for that album using samples and things. And all in the name of trying to be different and unique. It's a very, very fun thing to do. I know you and I have done a couple of songs where we've used found sound as a source for drums or keyboard patches or whatever. So with all the tools that we have today, it's like you can take it and run and just come up with some really, really cool stuff. Yeah. Or you could just go to Realitone and get his drum library, which is apparently really simple. <laughs> or you can do that as well, right? <laughs> then you sound like everybody else that uses it, though. Well, yeah. But the idea here is that you can not only learn something, but, but get some really, really cool sounds yep. out of this as well. So... What's the next on our list, Jody? Diving into a musical style that is not your bread and butter. Yeah. That's something I do a fair amount. Yeah. And the main reason why I even started doing it, it was being asked to do certain things for film and TV projects. And at that point, you kind of have to have a bit of an open mind to yeah. really make that stuff fly. And then you have to be able to internalize it and make it work. I'm not suggesting that you internalize everything and steal like these ideas from another genre, but you can certainly open your horizons and expand what you do by diving into an unfamiliar genre. I agree. And I think it can also be something that is really, really good for creative inspiration as well. Yep. Right? When you just do something that is so left field for you and just to try it and just to see what it does because we can all get stuck in ruts, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. Trying to do something completely different will certainly give you a different perspective on what it is that you do. Oh, yeah. Even if it's not something we're like, okay, well, I'm going to be the hip hop guy now. Okay, well, maybe not, but you can at least learn something from it or try to do like an EDM track or write a country song or whatever, just something out of the, the scope of what you normally do. It certainly is inspirational or it could be inspirational, but you're certain to learn something like a new technique or a new song structure or something that's pretty much guaranteed to help you in your future endeavors, even if you go back to whatever it is that you normally do. You're yeah, just a little straight. bit wiser from the journey, man. Oh, yeah. And now that we've made you guys a little wiser, let's move on to our Friday finds. Chris, what you got this week? Well, I was drilling down into my plug-in folder mm. this week for a specific request that I have for somebody to, to write something in the style of. And although it has some kind of things that I don't necessarily think are the smoothest implementations, Isotope's Brake Tweaker, uh -huh. I started using that again for this project and it worked a charm. 
So I thought this is going to be my Friday find for this week. It's a cool piece of software. I'm not sure if you ever used it oh, a yeah. lot to the extent, but how it makes certain things really, really easy and it sounds cool. So I was like, yeah, you know what? Break tweaker. I found a new newfound appreciation for it. So that's my, <laughs> well that's my Friday find for this week. All what right. about you? There is something big on the horizon. Ooh. It's called Big Sky. And those in the guitar pedal world know exactly what Big Sky is. It is a reverb pedal from Strymon. Mm. Known for high quality guitar pedal effects. Indeed. Strymon, and this is a little bit odd, because I do remember talking to the development officer, maybe? Is that? I don't remember if that's the appropriate name for his title. While at the Taylor booth at NAMM, saying, it would be so awesome to have your pedals as plugins. Well, ba ba ba, the first one to show up as a plugin, the Big Sky Reverb. You can now get Strymon's Big Sky Reverb guitar pedal as a plugin. Bam! Very cool. <laughs> I did not know that. I'm going to have yeah. to check that out. Because I, I, it's, it's very interesting because at the time the guy told me we don't really have that on a roadmap, and this is only a couple of years ago. So, hmm, <laughs> something happened. Yeah, something happened. Well, that's awesome. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. You'll get weekly reminders of the Tuesday tips when they come out, and we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of the podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the phrase downtime, and you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page, and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say, see you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'll talk to you later, Jody. Jody.